Retired Detective Sergeant Darren Birch, author of Twisted But True, escorts you through a zone, the Badge Zone, where stories from those behind the badge range from the bizarre to the supernatural. Welcome to a place of strange happenings, as you're about to enter the Badge Zone. I love that. that <laughs> Gives me chills. Sense. Love that movie. In fact, he's seeing one right then as he's talking to uh, uh, Bruce Willis. That, of course, is Sixth Sense. Uh, M. Night, and I can never pronounce his last Shyamalan? name. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, great film. And it kind of sets up the show we want to do today. Um, we've talked, you and I, Robin, about the books. In mm -hmm. fact, there's always a commercial about our books and so forth. And uh, my book is... One-off stories, you know, uh, Twist But True, the first book is like 30-something stories and, and so forth. And the second one, same way. And, and it just kind of spans over a 30-year career. And there's nothing about the book, per se, that I believe is spiritual or, or supernatural. It's just cop stories. Right. You know, demented, <laughs> twisted, sure. But uh, except for one story. And I want to talk about that. We've alluded to our books. And I thought, you know what? Instead of having a guest... This week, I'm going to talk about my book, and then next week or a week after, we'll talk about your book, and we'll talk about spirituality contained within them. That will be fun. Yeah. Yeah, it's always fun to delve into the stories that we've gone through in real life and to share those with people, so this will be fun. Yeah, and you did my two books, audiobooks, yes. and now the third one eventually we're going to do, and so you know these stories. I do. And... Sometimes we kind of take for granted when we're talking that people don't know why I'm maybe a skeptic or, or a, almost a believer sort of thing. And as I always say in the last, you know, while we've been doing the show, I'm an open-minded skeptic. And you have to be. You have to be skeptical because that's human nature. We just don't know what we don't know. And even with all the experiences we both have had, we still have to question things. Yeah. Is there a wash? You know, is yeah. there something that is explainable? If is there it is, coincidence? I have no problem going with, you yeah. know, the, the science, if you will, the natural order rather than the supernatural order. Oh, nice Ooh. one. So uh, after the uh, commercial break, uh, I'm going to come back on and tell a little story that, about a fallen officer, Ken Collins and how important he was in my career. I wrote about him glowingly in my first book about how he saved my butt. He saved my, my bacon big time. Um, 
which I do like that pun, save my bacon. <laughs> um, oink, oink. <laughs> yeah, it took me three books to tell the full story. So today, I'll be telling you the full story. You're listening to The Badge Zone. We'll be back right after this. If you like The Badge Zone, you'll love their books, starting with Darren's award-winning Twisted But True book trilogy with close to 100 compelling and funny true crime stories that American detectives with Lieutenant Joe Kenda producer called The Perfect Blend of Humor, Heroism, and Honor. And retired Colonel Dave Grossman declared, Darren's Twisted But True books are hilarious, deep, and powerful. Each book in the series received the Pinnacle Award for the best true crime book, and a story from book two was featured on an ID Channel television show. And Robin's most recent book, Soul Stirrings, reviewed as an often humorous and spiritually uplifting story of a widow's soul-searching pilgrimage to the afterlife. Darren called it a love story, a ghost story, an investigative story. It's a story like no other. And Robin's first book, Victim No More, where she shares her harrowing experiences with rape and domestic violence as Robin takes the reader on a very personal journey through the morass of abuse and loss, and ultimately, survival. These Badge Zone books should be on everybody's top 10 reading lists. And now, back to the Badge Zone. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, as we talked about in the opener, um, I'm, I'm excited about sharing this uh, with the listening audience because I just assume people know, but they don't. They have no, no idea what, you know, this story. It starts off really in 1979 when as uh, we, me and my three buddies went to a huge desert party, 30 kegs of beer, these um, garage bands. I mean, it, you might picture it like in seattle or portland or something yet it was in, in the desert oh it's very popular here yeah the grunge music in fact it's probably before grunge clearly 79 but i was um you know we were driving i um i was a passenger in a vehicle and unfortunately a vehicle tried to pass us it was a javelin that right there dates the story <laughs> sports car lost control went off the main road into the, the dirt side crashed into a power pole Long story short, with that scenario, two people died. One person literally died in my arms uh, as I tripped over her. She was uh, ejected through the windshield. And then the other was the girl inside the car. I, I, I got to her, but as the flames were approaching, because it was a car, became a car fire, and not like the movies, it didn't explode. It was a slow burn. And so I had time after we got the two men out of the, the car. She was the last. She was pat up against a, a door that couldn't open. So I had to go through the the, um, the other door, and it took a lot to get to her. And when I finally did get to her, the seatbelt was uh, broken, couldn't open it, and the flames um, forced me out. A um, few, few burns, nothing major. Uh, I felt I was betrayed by my body, quite frankly, because I, I didn't want to give up. But as the, the, the flames were spanking me and scolding me, um, it haunted me seeing her burn to death clearly it would haunt anyone and how old were you uh 17 17 yeah, yeah i was still in high school with you yeah and so fast forward i i joined the army i become a single father i come back home uh, now it's 1986 i joined the academy i'm thinking i've seen tragedy you know i've dealt with that we saved two lives that day you know we lost two but we saved two i mean my my friends said probably not 
so shocking one of my friends became a, a cop as well and he's a police chief in texas now oh wow yeah and we we did something significant that day but it haunted me the i and the reason i'm telling this story is because i was absolutely obsessed with saving lives that's the reason i want to become a cop is to save lives that and have a secure job for my son as a single father so now in 1987, I'm writing solo for, for you know the first time, you know the first part of your 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 time on the career. You're in training mode. You have a field training officer sitting next to you. you. It's not your car; it's his car, and you're learning. So I finally get to go solo. I'm excited, and this is not that first day solo story. I have one, but this is not that. But sometime during that first year as a rookie call comes out of a really bad um, four-car pileup in a oh. major intersection and people trapped. I am so obsessed with saving lives, I don't even, I'm not even thinking. And I turn my lights and sirens, I go blaring to the scene, which is probably a, a mile away, but I'm, I get there in a fraction of a second, dangerously, dangerously, stupid. I went way too fast. I just, just felt that obsession that urge that impulse to get there now to save these people so as i get there lights and sirens i'm blowing all the lights again you don't do that as a cop you kind of slow down for the for the cream yeah and uh i get there and as i get out and, and my car's parked right in the middle of the intersection i shut the door and that sinking feeling hits me right in my gut oh god I locked myself out of the car. Oh, this is that story. This is that story. Okay. It starts with that story. So as I locked myself out of the car with lights and sirens in the middle of an intersection, I got four damaged vehicles, truth, truth told by the call. It was exactly what they said. There was people trapped, they thought, and cars strewn about. It was a bad one. I, for a split second, I'm paused, almost like that accident, if you will, from my childhood, you know, where... I had this dead body in my arms, and then, oh, my God, you know, there's other people in the car, that sort of thing. There was a, that pause. It seemed like an attorney. It was mere seconds, probably, but it seems like an attorney. I, that same kind of pause at this traffic scene with these four cars, and it hits me, I got to get to work here. You know, I got people that need help, and right. then I can hear the ambulance come or the fire department coming. I can hear because we beat, I beat them to the scene, you know, many minutes. So I go from car one, car two, car three, car four, checking on the injuries. Sadly, or unfortunately, it's probably a better way to say it, I had two drunks in two separate cars. Oh, wow. And I have nowhere to put them. My, I'm locked out of my car. I have two drunks, and they're, one of them is belligerent. The other one's asleep. And that was the one they thought was trapped in their car. They couldn't get him to come out. They thought he was trapped in the car, you know, bystanders, that sort of thing. So I, I say, asleep at the well, literally. Yeah, yeah. I'll call them Huey and Dewey. I <laughs> took them out, put them on the sidewalk, handcuffed them to each other. And then just hoping and praying they'll stay where they're at, you know, on the sidewalk, cuffed to each other. Uh, and they did, thankfully, but I was able to check on all the, uh, the other Folks, I don't have a radio. My radio is in the car. It's like oh, an in-dash that you, you know, it's a portable that goes into the dash. So Back in the day before they wore the receivers exactly, on their vest. Exactly, yeah. And so I, 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 I almost want to take my, this. I'm serious. I thought this, I wouldn't have done it, but I thought I should just take this badge off my chest, put it on the ground and walk away. I just, I didn't know. 
if I'm really well suited for this job, if I could lock myself out of a patrol car because I'm so obsessed with saving lives. It really was that weird moment. There's early. worse things to be obsessed oh, with. Sure. Right? Yeah. But at the same time, this is going to be a bad day. So the, uh, the tow trucks come. Luckily, the fire department called them. Uh, they got tow trucks and route. I worked with the fire department with who was, you know, most serious injury, that sort of thing. Nothing serious. They all went to hospital, but nothing life threatening. So now as the dust settles, the fire department's leaving. I'm stuck with these two drunks. I don't have a car. I don't have a communication. And I'm just kind of a dumb rookie cop with not a clue until my savior arrives. Officer Ken Collings. He was in a different squad, a different squad area. Uh, I knew of him. He was one of those um, studs on the apartment. I, I'll call them meat eaters. You know, they always got involved in things. You know, right. just a good cop, a cop's cop. And he rolls up to me and he says, because when you go on a call that's a serious accident like that, you get back on the radio after it, you clean it up a little bit and say it's code four, which means everything's fine, no serious injuries, not life-threatening, that sort of thing. You kind of, if you will, let everybody know, but including the dispatcher, that what you have. Because, you know, she has no idea. Right, she's not there. Yeah, she has yeah. no idea. And I need to, if you will, give disposition of the situation. I, I couldn't do that. Didn't have my radio. Oh, my God. He picked, he's such a good cop. He picked up on that, drove way out of his squad area just to check welfare on me. And when he rolls up, he rolls on the window, and he says, everything okay? You know, just checking welfare, code four, that sort of thing. Uh, police talk. And I said, I said, I'm having a bad day. <laughs> I said, I locked myself up. Locked myself out of the car. Now, I'm saying this as I'm standing on the sidewalk with two drunks, you know, at my feet, uh, sitting, uh, you know, in uh, uh, Indians, whatever that's called, where you're, you know, across your legs. Yeah. 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 And so they're just sitting there drunk and dumb and and, uh, content, thank God. And uh, when I tell him I locked myself out of the car, and of course, he can hear it blaring. And it's still, you know, lights and sirens are still going. It's the middle of the intersection. Uh, I've diverted traffic every which way away. And he's, he's laughing his ass off. He is laughing his ass off at this rookie cop. And he says, tell you what I'll do. Uh, he gets on the radio. He gets hold of someone at the precinct on another channel, not to embarrass me. He gets right. on another channel and says, hey, go to channel 10. The guy does. Probably half the department did too. But he tells his buddy, hey, go to the precinct, get the extra keys for this car. At that time, it was policy. You could not bring an extra set of keys with you. Ah, yeah, you, okay. you weren't allowed to. It was literally against policy. There was this extra set, but they kept it at the precinct. And so why this details happening this guy's going to be coming back this other patrol officer with my extra set of keys he's working out who's going to do what on this job he's going to take the two drunks since he has a car and has a cell to put them in the back seat he'll take two drunks off my hands he'll process them i'll do the uh the four car accident i'll do the diagram i'll do you know so we separated our, our jobs if you will he didn't have to do that it's not even his squad area I just absolutely fell in love with this guy. And it was that moment where I went from ready to say I'm not suited for this job to now meeting him and understanding the brotherhood. Well, he knew there was something special about you. Oh, I don't know. And, I think he's well, just a good guy. Well, here, here's <laughs> the thing, though. I mean, first responders, you guys are police officers. You're, you're first on the scene. You're running into the fire. And that's instinctual for so many of you to be that way. 
And maybe, I mean, I was talking about this with someone this morning. Maybe it's the idea that he was in that position at one time where he did something as a bad rookie move and somebody saved his ass and he's just returning the favor. You're exactly right. Yeah. Uh, we All rookies have their rookie moments. We right. do. You know, most rookies have that that first story of solo which i do i'm not going to share that it's not the time <laughs> not but, but we all have that you know so it absolutely everything you're saying 100 percent true but it was just it went from worst to best in a single call i went from the worst of times to the best of times where i saw this this officer that had my back helped me out i absolutely loved him for that and we weren't even friends i, I knew of him sadly months later i'm Going forward now, sadly, he's off duty. I'm off duty. We had kind of like same hours, or excuse me, same days. Not same hours, but same days. I was graveyard. He was uh, shift two. He was at a bank as a security officer, off duty gig. Two illegals came into the bank and robbed it. He watched from a safety position, didn't make his presence known, didn't want to, any kind of shootout to happen inside the bank. He did a great job with that. Um, the bad guys are actually in a bank. He then goes out to confront them, stop them, arrest them. The shootout begins. He's taking cover behind a vehicle, and the bad guys got lucky. And a round went through the vehicle into his brain. Died instantly. It tore me up. It tore me up. I was so broken uh, hearing this story, this dear police officer, this cop's cop, and to die in a line of duty. Now, in book one, Twist But True, that's where it ends. It, it, it ended with this sad situation with a fallen officer who, who saved my career. But the story really doesn't end there. But I couldn't write it in the first book. It wasn't until the third book when I knew I was writing no more books. You know, I wrote each one. I wrote begrudgingly. I didn't. I'm not a writer. I'm an author. I'm no writer. You know, it, it's 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 a task to it write is. these books, and 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 cathartic. I won't lie. It was cathartic. There's you know, I cried writing some of these books, talking about my son, how he died, talking about Ken. But what happened in um, gosh, 2000? And it was a Sunday morning. I wake up from a night rest. During that night, I had what I could only describe as a surreal dream. It wasn't a dream, but it wasn't real. But it was in my sleep time. But it was Ken. Now, keep in mind, this is in 2000. Um, Ken died in 1988. Uh, in fact, it was May 27th. And... Now I am having a dream about him. And as much as he meant to me, I've never dreamt about him. Right. You know, months would go by without me, if you will, thinking about him. I would never forget him, this fallen officer and the sacrifice he made for his brothers and sisters and the community and what he did to me personally and helped me personally. He was my hero. But I, this was weird. This dream, again, I'm using air quotes when I say dream, was him and I'm not really in it. It's just him staring at me, happy. And I could not get over that. As beautiful as it was, seeing him happy, smiling, staring right at me, I was really freaked out. So when I wake up, 
And I've woken up from nightmares before, and they stay with you a little bit. They do you emotionally. This was a beautiful dream, and it stayed with me like a nightmare, if you will, where it's just still with me. I can still see his face. From, from that dream image, I can still see his face. I, it's not like a ghost. It's not like I saw a dead person. I didn't see a ghost, but I saw him staring at me, and now I'm awake. I'm talking to my wife on a Sunday morning. She's rummaging through the refrigerator for something to eat. I, I can't get over this. It's just, you know, so I'm sharing this with her, and it's freaking me out because it's like 12 years later after you know he died. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, I'm just going to sit and watch some TV. I, I just, I, my, I'm really freaking out over this, and I, I can't stress enough how freaked out I am. So I'm turn on TV. I don't care what the hell it is. I'm going to watch TV, and I would say in a matter of minutes you know like maybe 20 someone minutes something like that and i and i can't say for sure and i can't tell you what show i was watching i cannot tell you i have absolutely no memory of the of the show it didn't matter i just watched the tv to get my mind off this this image uh this unsettling yet beautiful image breaking news the the show is preempted by the local um, newscaster breaking news a, I won't say his name, but a person has been arrested for a police officer murder. Now, what I didn't share with the audience yet is that his killers, one of them was caught shortly after in another shootout with police, and we never caught the small guy. I won't say his name. Uh, we never caught the smaller of the two. We think he probably was able to get out of the area through one of those um, push carts that they sell ice cream and mm-hmm. and novelty items um he probably was that because we checked taxi cabs we i mean this was a, a officer that was murdered you hold that scene you secure it and we never found him so there was one sighting of a uh, uh, a vendor if you will with those push carts and he probably hid in that and was able to get out of the uh, the crime scene so ken was letting you know that he knew what was about to happen. And that was the arrest of this guy. Some 12 years after the murder, he was arrested. It was breaking news. Uh, it just occurred. So nothing happened the night before, right? There was no news about this, nothing. But they know. And again, so this is a skeptic in me. Well, I'm, a, I'm about to blast your skeptic right out of the water. I, I had no doubt because I'm seeing your face. Yeah. And you have a look about you when things are being told to you. And as I'm sharing this with my wife, it's like, oh, my God, I'm at peace. I literally went from being such an unsettling because I miss him dearly. And now I have peace. So, you know, again, the skeptic in me says, God, just a coincidence. No, of course no, not. Not twelve years not. later. Not at the moment when the suspect is arrested for his murder. It, it can't be coincidence. And yet, as a skeptic in me, I still try to wash it away. Well, so you, now you can't. Yeah, and now and I'm looking at you across the table here because and, I'm very emotional right now, knowing what I know. Um, when we were doing your audiobook, yes, I was asking you questions. So first of all, I'm going to bring it right back around to the book, and I believe this is book number two. What year was the bank robbery where you were being shot at? Oh, where I was being shot at? Yes. Oh, okay, that was in 95, 90, 95, yes, 95, 1995. Okay, and he was still alive. 
No. He Ken was, was gone. He was go- gone by that okay, time. Okay, that's died what... died in 1988. That's right. I was trying to get the timeline because I told you that there was somebody there by you your side you protecting did. you. When we were doing an audio book, you And told we me were that. trying to figure out who it was. I wasn't really sure at the time, and neither were you. But in all honesty, Ken has been watching out for you for years, and that's exactly who was there protecting you that day of the bank robbery because it was, in fact, a bank robbery that went sideways that took his life, and he was your protector looking over you, and he still is. Wow. I never, ever put that together. I I, I have no doubt you're seeing that. Yeah, it it is the one and only person who has always looked over you, from that very first day, he felt he was responsible to help protect you that day. That's why none of those bullets hit you during that bank robbery shootout. You were safe because you did, in fact, have a guardian angel wearing a badge on the other side. Yeah, it's weird. I never thought about the duality there. I, and I mean that yeah. until this very exact moment. But yet, yeah, that was my shootout with a bank robber. I took cover behind a vehicle. The person was shooting the vehicle. There's definitely a duality there. There's, yeah. Uh, I've never even thought about that. Visit the as, unexplained, as, right? You know, again, 30-year career. Uh, you know, I've been shot at several times, obviously. Well, not obviously, but I have. I've been shot, um, you know, three times shot at. Uh, been in these situations and never thought about the, the parallels of his shooting and my shooting. And, and both at the bank, both at, the, you know, yeah. It, it's And that doesn't happen to a lot of officers. Those are... are Thankfully, rare, those those bank shootouts that go bad. And he's showing me an image right now. Um, he actually stood in front of that column with his arms out and his chef, chest puffed up like Superman, and the bullets were reflecting off of his chest in order to shield you from being hit. Yeah, I, I, I don't... How is that for an image? Yeah, that's an image, because he is my, my hero. He is my superhero. But no he sat right it. there as Superman, yeah. putting his chest out... And making sure that everything was deflected from hitting you. Yeah. And I, I, again, I could not share this story when it occurred. You know, just my wife couldn't share with anyone because cops, we don't share those moments. Right. And, and I couldn't, I couldn't wash it away in terms of, well, it's probably this. Like there's times you'll hear a voice or something and say, well, you know, schizophrenic hears voices all the time. It oh, was yeah. just a schizophrenic episode. <laughs> I'm joking. But you can kind of, you know, wash things away as a wash. And this I couldn't. So I kind of held on to it and just it was my own, you know, beautiful story of, of Ken and, and him at peace. Rest in peace, my fellow brother officer. Wow. So that is the story that is heaven sent. Uh, I believe that was a, a message in heaven. I was going through some difficulties during that time frame, anyways. Uh, you know, just personal demons that catch up to you uh, with, you know, almost 20 years on an apartment or excuse me, over 20 years at that time when that occurred. Uh, and I saw Ken it came to me and uh, I love you, Ken rest in peace. And uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the badge zone. We'll be back uh, next week uh, or the week after with uh, Robin telling us her tales from your book. Ooh, how exciting. Thank you. We'll be- Thanks for listening. This week's journey into the badge zone is coming to an end. But join Darren next time as we delve deeper into the zone. The Badge Zone. Badge Zone.